morning, everybody. Great to see you. Uh, so what we talked about last week, before we get to this video that uh, Derek just talked about, we talked about last week is, is that God by nature is a servant. Serving is not something that God does. Serving is something that God is. And that when Joseph aligns himself to who God, when Joseph is the one who moves, and then get God to move to him, then say, God bless what I'm doing. Joseph moves to where God is, and that is to have a servant's heart when he does that. We had a spotlight up here. We turn all the lights out. And we read through the story that Joseph is standing in God's presence like over and over and over again. So we stand in the glow of God's presence as we adjust to God. We become a servant. And we talked about signing up for this big volunteer fair that we uh, did last week. 160 people signed up last week to volunteer. Way to go. That was awesome. So, you know, just to have a little bit of fun with it, uh, I said that if we had a large amount of people sign up, that I would serve my wife by being nice to her dog. This is what I, I said. And there's a little bit, I got there's a little bit of jealousy between the dog and myself, right? So like just this morning, very early this morning, we get up, uh, my wife immediately, because the dog sleeps right next to her over there on the, not on the bed, no way, but uh, on, on the floor in the little doggy bed, right ever. And this is the way the dog wakes up every morning. Ooh, butterscotch, I love you. You're so awesome. You're incredible. You're so sweet. You're fantastic. You're so smart. And I just said to this morning, what, one morning, one morning, John, you're such an awesome husband. You're so smart. You're awesome. You're so sweet. Never. This never happened. So I want to say, I want to get that out. That there's a little bit of there. So there could be a little bit of something on there. But I said, I said, even though I'm not crazy about it, Krista says, deep down you love the dog. <laughs> no. So, uh, <laughs> but I would remove myself. I would get myself out of the way. And this week to serve my wonderful, beautiful wife, I would be nice to the dog if a lot of people signed. So a lot of people signed up. So we want to give you some photos of just what, how I spent my week. So there we are. <laughs> Loving the dog. See how nice that is? Being very nice to the dog. What else we got there, David? Look at it. Taking the dog. I have a leash in my head. Taking the dog for a walk there. And uh, somebody had delivered the balloon and some doggy treats to the office very early in the week. And so there is me bringing the balloon. It has a big happy smiley face on it. And the doggy treats. Home dog. What you can't see in that picture is the dog had just been sick like an hour before. And about an inch from my foot, I didn't know this. The do- that's where the dog had been sick. And I said, Krista, something smells here. So, ah, and I looked down, oh my gosh. So uh, within uh, 30 minutes after that picture is taken, I, I, am, I am by myself taking the dog to the vet. Wanted to get a picture of me and the dog to prove that I took to the vet, but uh, the dog was getting ready to jerk on the chain and break the phone. So I said, let's forget this. So uh, we had another picture there. That happened actually earlier in the day, I guess when the dog was feeling happy. But um, this is National Bring Your Dog to Work Day. So there... I am at the desk and the dog's helping me to read the Bible. Krista insists that the dog does the devotions with her every day. But, uh, and then there's the final picture. The dog and I just having just a wonderful, you know, wonder, one, one, wonderful time. So when we get ourselves out of the way, it, this took a lot of work for me. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Get myself out of the way. I know you dog lovers are like, what's wrong with you? You're a terrible person. Yes, I am. And uh, get myself out of the way uh, to, to serve my wife. Now, I want to I say something to you. I want to say the first part of a phrase. You complete it for me. Can you do that? Happy wife. Happy wife. All right, let's do it. Happy wife. Happy wife. Hey, I, I'm going to tell you that statement is true. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
you can't fight City Hall, okay? If mom ain't, ha- if mom ain't happy and nobody happy, we might as well just get over that uh, fact really, uh, really, really quick. Happy wife, happy life. So um, I got myself out of the way, and I tell you, you know, last week, standing in the glow of God's presence, so all over the place, God is communicating that to us about Joseph as he has a servant's heart, God's presence on it. I stood in the light and the warmth and the glow of a happy wife this past week. And that was very nice. So God did a special thing. Let me say this last thing before I transition to something else. As I said, 160 people signed up to serve. It was just awesome. And I want to thank you so much. And I want to let you know on November the 15th, Sunday, November the 15th, we're having a huge volunteer appreciation party. It happens right here immediately after the second service concludes. It starts right at 12 o'clock. We're going to do a ton of fun things. If you're on any team, any volunteer team, please mark your calendars. Show up that day. It's going to be a blast. We're going to do a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you one thing, just one thing. It's being catered by the famous Ben's Chili Bowl. So, right? Because we want to have chili because we're fired up. Our theme is we're fired up about our volunteers. So we're going to... So please mark your calendars for that. There'll be more on that in the future. All right, here's what I'd like to do before we look at this video. I want to give you in just a few moments the philosophy for missions ministry of Grace Community Church. This is really important. This is why we named the, the, the message today, See It, because we're going to use that word, see, S-E-E, see it. This is what we try to do. Number one, skin in the game. It's a fill in the blank. It's really important, skin in the game. We, we want to, you have this yellow sheet. In your bulletins, here's all, not all, almost all of the organizations that we partner with. This is really very important. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's most of them. And for almost almost all of them, maybe I would say in some way all of them, uh, we are allowed to put skin in the game. We're allowed to get involved with them. Not just, hey, here you go. Go do a good job. See you later. Here's a contribution to your efforts. No, no, no. We want skin in the game, and here's the reason why. Because when we experience things... When we're allowed to actually get involved, go there, to be personally involved somehow, that is how who is transformed? We are. We are. I want you to think about this. Uh, Joseph would would have preferred to stay right at home with his nice little robe on, right? Back with daddy who was favoring him. It was a comfortable, nice, happy place to be. He did not prefer to be betrayed by his brothers into slavery, betrayed by Potiphar's wife into prison. He wouldn't have preferred that, right? It's bad. But... I want you to think about this. The eventual end, end game of this whole thing is that he was going to lead a major, a nationwide, a region-wide feeding program. Now think about this for a second. He might not have been happy with that, but everybody else was very happy. Why? Because who better to lead a foodie, feeding program for starving people than somebody who knows what it's like to be hungry? as a slave, as a prisoner, to experience hunger, to have that sympathy, to have that empathy, to have that understanding, right? We want somebody in positions of leadership who have experienced certain things, they know where we're coming from, and who better to do that? So he might have been happy, but the whole world was happy because if he hadn't had skin in the game, he might have starved everybody to death. So it's really, really important that he put skin in the game. And you're going to hear in a few moments from our youth how they were transformed. We went down to make a difference in people's lives and how they were affected, how they were changed, how they were transformed. And we've been saying all along that this word transform means for us to become the real you and the real me. That's what the word means. There's a real you inside of you. You know it. There's a real me, and it's dying to get out. And it comes out as God transforming, me, and that involves skin in the game. So there's, there's the first thing. Here's the second part of our uh, missions philosophy, okay? It's the E. They are effective. 
We want to partner with organizations that are highly, highly effective. We look for organizations that are very, very effective at what they do. Today, we are talking about our partnership with Compassion International. We, as I said, we partner with lots of organizations, but today we're talking about Compassion International. So you can see here that what they are attempting to do, their mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Now, some of you might say, do you only partner with Christian organizations? No, we don't. We partner with all kinds of organizations. This organization happens to be a Christian organization, and their focus, their mission, is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And I want to tell you what. Um, uh, Derek said a few minutes ago uh, that, you know, we can be skeptical. I'm very skeptical, just to let you know. I'm very skeptical. And so I've been to Guatemala twice with compassion, and I'm looking for all the problems, just to be honest with you. I walk in. I'm not looking for everything right. I'm looking for everything wrong because I'm trying to judge whether or not this community of people who I hold very dear that I could stand up here and I could say, hey, no, no, this organization is highly effective. They do great work and you can trust that. So I'm looking for everything wrong. And I looked and looked and looked and I thought they would hit about right here and actually hit about way up here. They knocked it out of the park. They did an excellent job. Everybody that we work with alongside, they were phenomenal. And I got them in situations. I went off the regular track of where they're leading us around so I could look behind the doors and see what's going on. They couldn't fake what they were doing. They do a fantastic job. They're highly effective. They're, they're, what they try to do, what they are doing actually, is they are feeding children. They're educating children. They're giving children medical checkups and they have in their office I love this they have all these filing cabinets and when you come to visit they take all the files and they put them out there and they they have tracked in a very detailed way all of these things that they're doing with these children to help them release from poverty in Jesus name and I love the files I love the data I love the tracking they're very serious about the tracking and everybody that's awesome let me give you one piece that they do when they have an underperforming center they shut it down. If they can't correct it, they shut it down. I love that. You might not think that's a great thing. I think it's an awesome thing because if you want organizations to work well, when you have underperformers, you don't say, hey, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay that you're not doing a great job. It's okay that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We love you in Jesus' name. Get that. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. We want you to be highly effective. We want you to, and we look for organizations that have a proven track record of being highly effective, and these guys are it. They're doing an awesome job. Last E, efficient. Many of you, because uh, you're very knowledgeable, you know what's going on in the world, you know about nonprofits are tracked by uh, an organization called Charity uh, Navigator. You know this. And so if you go on Charity Navigator that looks at all kinds of nonprofits that have all kinds of missions, you realize that they rate them, and Compassion International has... The top rating has a four-star rating, as high as you can go. They are very, very efficient with what they do. So we currently sponsor 13 children as a church. And our youth group, our 930 Club, our youth group, sponsors a number of those kids. And our Graceland Elementary Program sponsors a number of them. If you went downstairs to see where our youth group is or our Graceland Ministry, the elementary one, you'll see a wall that's put up there. It has all these pictures of kids on it because what they do is they send the kids their picture, the picture, the kids send us pictures, we write letters back and forth. It becomes very, very personal. This past August, 23 of us, both youth and youth leaders, went down to Guatemala because all the kids we sponsor, everybody, this is by design. We, we, this is it's very strategic the way we did it. We wanted all of our kids to be from the exact same region so that we went to place a visit, we could see as many of our kids that we're writing to, that we're getting personal, we could see as many as possible. 
Today, you're going to have an opportunity, if you want to, to sponsor a kid yourself. And you'll have an opportunity, if you want to and you can, to actually go and visit those kids. But we will be going back almost on a yearly basis, and we'll be taking video and pictures and bringing back stories so that we can put skin in the game. I want to show you a video of our teenagers who are writing a letter to their sponsored child. Listen to what they have to say. Let's roll the video. Dear Daphne. What's up, Jonathan? Dear Rudy. Dear Jonathan. I think about you all the time, and I want you to know that uh, meeting you, I was changed, and I learned a lot. I remember just watching you come off of that bus. It was so cool to meet you in person. I hope you're doing well in school, and hopefully someday you will be able to come to become a fireman like you wanted to. Visiting your community showed me a totally different type of life, and I was shocked about how full of joy you and your family was. Thank you for sharing that with me. Can't wait to talk to you again, and I'll be praying for you, Rudy, and I'll miss you, buddy. God loves you, and I love you, and I hope for the best for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I love you, and Jesus loves you. Dear Hyman, I know I couldn't meet you, but being there in Guatemala was like meeting a part of you. Every time we visited a home in your community, everyone was so hospitable and made me feel instantly like a part of the family. You come from great people. I was blown away by the sense of family in Guatemala and how everyone loved each other and was there for each other. It's actually something we struggle with here in America. It would be great if you could pray for us. I love you so much. I'm always praying for you every single morning and every single night. I hope you're safe and I get to meet you soon. Frida. Hey Jaime, I was disappointed that we didn't get to meet, but I heard you play basketball and that's just something me and you have in common. One of my favorite players in the US is uh, Steph Curry. The thing I like most about him is that everything he does is through Jesus Christ. I hope you do everything on the court through Jesus and just give all the glory to God. Well, I hope one day we can actually play basketball together. Just to warn you, I'm very tall. You should probably get good at your outside shot. My dear Mildred, our trip together to your house was not long enough for me to say all the things I wanted to tell you. You are one of the most sweetest and joyful young girls that I have ever known. I see it in your love for others as you share your treasured belongings, such as the bike with one wheel that you share with all your siblings. I have so much admiration for you, for you yourself are not sponsored, and yet you were so thrilled to share in your sister's joy to go to Compassion's programs. Because of you, my outlook on life has been completely changed. Mildred, you did not have much to give me materially, yet you still offered it graciously. I will never forget you, nor the blessing and example you have been to my life. I love you, little Mildred, and hope and pray that one day I will be able to make a difference in your life by sponsoring you because you have surely made a difference in mine. Dear Olga, I can remember the day we met so clearly. When I saw you and your mother, I was filled with excitement and love. You have such a huge place in my heart and it will always stay there. As we were having a great day, I remember how you counted the stairs in Spanish and when I walked up the stairs in my house, I count them as I'm walking with you. It's silly, but it's a way to remember you. I had a lot of respect for your mom. She works hard and is so strong. I look up to her and one day I hope to be as strong and wonderful and hardworking as she is. I want your whole family to know that God loves you and has such a great plan for you. 
We have our bad days, but it's not compared to what God has to offer to us. I miss you so much, and Guatemala, words can't describe it. Te amo. Tati. All right. Hey. Uh, good morning, everybody, again. My name is Matt Komar. I'm the youth pastor here. We have some incredible young people at our church, do we not? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So uh, what's really exciting is that our teenagers are getting a taste, or they're getting a, a vision for what God is doing throughout the world, and they're getting a taste for what it is like to participate in, in what God is doing. We have a table in the lobby today in case any of you were interested in jumping in on that as well. And just real quick, I have 60 seconds to share with you some instructions on the table, there's some child sponsorship packets, okay? And so if, if you want to get involved, you can just pick one up and you unfold it like this. And it's basically very simple. There's just a bottom portion that is the sponsorship acceptance form that you need to detach, fill it out and give it back to us. And that's it. You take the rest of the packet home to begin corresponding with your child. Uh, also, Compassion, they do everything they can to remove barriers between you and these relationships with children in poverty. And so um, there is a spot on the form for you to fill in your credit or debit card information, uh, and, and you can tell them when to deduct that. It's $38 a month. Um, if you want to write a check, you can write a check to Compassion, and we'll just staple it to the form. If you want to give cash, we'll staple the cash to the form as well. If you are not comfortable with any of those options, you can just write on that form, Compassion, send me the bill, and they'll send you the bill. Um, that's it. Hopefully we'll see you in the lobby after service. Thank you, Matt. Hey, everybody, I just want to say uh, this about our youth group. Our youth group, I was there with them for almost a week in Guatemala. They represented Grace Community Church. They re represented you all extremely well. We have a great, they just, I was thrilled with who they are and what they did. They were awesome. They did a great job. Pastor Matt's doing a great job. So we just very effective themselves at what they did. So if you see one of our youth running around or Pastor Matt, you should say, way to go. Can you do that? Way to go. Yes, good. Okay, that wasn't very rousing, but that's okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> all right, I, I want to I change gears real quick, uh, a little bit, not totally, but some. I want to talk about our jobs. Because all of these six dreams that we find in the story of Joseph, we are now up to dream number six. In each case, each one of them has something to do with what people do for a living. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a dream. He's got a dream for you. Why do you think that the, this story that is so important in the Bible, do you know that we have more spoken words of Joseph than anybody else in the Old Testament of the Scriptures? Do you realize that? More spoken words by Joseph. This is a really important story in the Bible, and they have six dreams, and every one of those dreams has something to do with what people do for a living. You spend most of your time working, don't you? Yes, you do. It's okay to say. It's all right to be involved. And so God is really interested in what you do for a living, your work. He wants it to be highly effective. He wants it to be highly fulfilling. And so I want to spend just a few moments here in conclusion talking about what this story tells us about work. Could you answer yes to that? Yes, I feel in my job very, very effective and very, very fulfilled in what I do. How would you answer that question? And why does Joseph get to the place where he is so incredibly effective? We're going to go right here today. We're finally making it to the competency level. Why is he's so fulfilled and why is he so incredibly effective as an executive, as a CEO of a major feeding program that affects a whole nation and a whole region? Why is he? He had skills through the roof. But if he had not gone through what he went through, would his skills have been as great and it make a big as an impact as they were supposed to? So we're going to track along with this today. All right. We as 
as people, we know this. This is tried and true, well studied. We as people are drawn to comfort. We're drawn to comfort. We're drawn to the lazy boy chair. We're drawn to complacency. We're drawn to comfort. This is just who we are. This is just the way it goes. We're always drawn to what brings us comfort. The Bible talks about that. It talks about wanting to take the comfortable way. It says, Jesus says in, in Revelation chapter 3, he says, you know, I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold, but you're lukewarm. We're drawn to comfort. That is, that's just who we are as people. And comfort actually can be totally lethal to us. Do you realize, everybody, think about this. I read this stat a couple weeks ago. In the United States of America, in the United States of America, everybody, 4,000 people every year are injured on pillows. Pillows. <laughs> pillows. Comfort. It's injury. It's injurious. Has anybody, don't raise your hand, has anybody sustained a difficult injury because of a pillow? Okay? They can be. So when I, when I Googled for this picture this past week, a couple of pillows came up that I've never seen before. Maybe this makes sense. Does anybody have that kind of pillow? Because I'm thinking. <laughs> Um, now I can understand. I mean, I couldn't understand with the other kind of pillows, but maybe I can understand that pillow. Show us another picture, David. Look at this guy. He's got that. It's like it's killed this guy. Understand? He's, he's totally been injured. He can't, I don't. He can't breathe. What is he doing? Head down on the desk. He's just completely out of it. But comfort is a problem. Scientists, think about this. Scientists at Berkeley. Scientists at Berkeley took an amoeba. Right? They took these scientists took this amoeba and they put this amoeba in perfect conditions, perfect humidity, perfect light. Perfect food, everything was perfect. They took away all the challenges, all the stress, and all the problems for this amoeba. And do you know what the scientists at Berkeley found out happened to that amoeba? What happened? Anybody know? It died. Comfort can be lethal. And what I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to put your job in God's hands? Because it might get uncomfortable if you're Joseph. Joseph's very comfortable back here. He's got his dad. Daddy's ta- he's daddy's favorite boy. He's got the nice little robe on, right? Everybody's serving him. He serves nobody. And then things get very uncomfortable. Thank goodness they did because the whole world benefited from the fact that he was willing to get uncomfortable and put himself in God's hands. So two questions. First question now, one question later. Here's the first question I want to ask you. Are you willing to put your career in God's hands? God, whatever you want, I'm putting my career in God. I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to move away from comfort. I'm going to move away from complacency in God. I'm going to put my career completely in your hands. We have seen this through this story, that Joseph becomes a person of prayer. We talked about that last week. It's very subtle in the story, but he becomes a person of prayer. He's seeking God. He's depending upon God. He's been betrayed by his brothers, sold as a slave. He goes to Potiphar's house. He's lied about there by Potiphar's wife, and now he's in prison. He's in charge of two of the king's major officials. While he's in prison, he's serving them. They have dreams, he interprets them, and you would think he would be a little touchy about trying to interpret anybody's dream. After what happened with his dream, he gets his dream, right? He gets his dream. You have your dream, he gets his dream, and then everything goes wrong. So when the guy said, we had a dream, you would have thought he would have said, if he's still independent from God, he said, look, hey, man, you guys figure that out yourself, because <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out my own. But in says, you know what? You know what? God, God can help you with this. Can you imagine? Do you know what must have been going on in his head, everybody? When all of the dream that he had, it just not, looks like it's not working out. He says, you know what? God can have that. And so he interprets their dream. And for one guy, three days, he goes back to the palace with Pharaoh. And the other guy, bad news, he gets impaled. And the guy, when he leaves, 
Joseph says to the, to the cupbearer, the king's officials, remember me. And then what are we told? The last verse of Genesis 4, he says, but he forgot him. And so for two more years, he's there. And then, then, then Pharaoh has his dream. He has these two dreams. They're very much similar. And the first one is this about coming out of the Nile River. Here's what you need to know about the Nile River. Egypt was the breadbasket of the Roman world. They depended on the Nile River. It was, oh man, it gave them prosperity. It gave them food. It gave them so much. And coming out of the Nile River were these big cows. It says they were sleek and fat. And then, and then you get seven more cows that come out and they're gaunt. And then this is really gruesome. No wonder Pharaoh woke up. It says the gaunt cows just eat up the fat. I mean, that must've been a startling. You ever had a bad dream? That's a bad dream. And then he has the same, same thing with wheat. You know, the same thing happens and he wakes up and nobody, nobody could interpret the dream. And here's the thing. So this last week in Egypt, they look at dreams or you felt like you, this is what they thought. This is what they thought in Egypt, that you were in direct contact with the gods when you slept and you had a dream. And so they had lots of professional dream tellers, but nobody could give the answer to the dream. And then the cupbearer says, oh my gosh, king, I'm so sorry. There's a guy down the prison. So quickly he's brought up. Now here's what's amazing. Pharaoh says to Joseph, right? I want, to, I want you to think for a second. How would you respond if the king said this to you after you've, for 13 years, you have, you have just been a slave and you've been in prison 13 years. And the king said, hey, I heard you can interpret dreams. And the first words out of Joseph's mouth is, I can't do it. I would have responded a different way. Even if I believed that, I would have responded. I would have said, hey, uh, look, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray about it and God's going to give you the answer. But I would not have immediately responded with a negative, right? I'm thinking, I'm happy to be here because maybe when I say I can't do it, it's like, get the bum out, right? I would have never done that. But he was so dependent. He had learned so much because of his experience. His life had been so changed. He says, I can't do it. I'm fully dependent upon God. I can't do it. But God will give you the answer and God gives the answer. Now, here he gives his plan. And here is how King Pharaoh responds to the plan that Joseph says. All right, Genesis 31. Genesis 41, I mean. This seemed like a very good idea to the king, and all his officers agreed. And the king asked them, can we find a better man than Joseph to do what? To take this job. This is what God has been honing in his life for all these years. He has a job for Joseph to do. God has a job for you to do. One of the first things that God says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving you a job. Genesis chapter 2. We're only two chapters in the Bible because I've got a job for you. Can we find? Then he says this. Check this out. God's spirit is truly in him. So Pharaoh recognizes the spirit of God is on his life. So the king said to Joseph, God has shown you all this. There is no one as wise and understanding as you are. So I'll put you in charge of my palace. All the people will obey your orders and I will only be greater than you. Then the king said to Joseph, look, I've put you in charge of all the land of Egypt. Then the king took off his own ring, his ring with his royal seal on it, and he put it on Joseph's finger. He gave Joseph his fine linen clothes to wear, and he put a gold chain around Joseph's neck. The king had Joseph ride in the second royal chariot, and people walked ahead of his chariot, calling out. What words does he say, everybody? What does he say? Bowed down. Can you remember the dream he had? 13 years ago, and everything just didn't look like it was working out. God's put a dream in your heart. And for some of you, that dream has not come to pass at all. You're like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And here we go. Here's the dream is coming to pass. It says, bow down. By doing these things, the king put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. The king said to him, I'm the king. And I say that no one in all the land of Egypt may lift a hand or a foot without permission. The king gave Joseph the name. Check out this name. The name Zaphonath Paneah. You know what that means? God lives and sees. 
13 years you've been struggling. Some of us, we've been struggling for years. Some of us have been struggling for more than 13 years, waiting, 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 waiting for the dream to come to pass. King Pharaoh says, you know what? All these years, Joseph, God has heard you. He has seen you. Here you have a king, a pagan king, who says, speaks to Joseph the words of God. I have seen you. I have heard you. God's spirit. Let's go back to the part where Pharaoh recognizes the spirit of God is on earth. Think about this, everybody. God's spirit all throughout the Bible has enabled people to be highly effective and completely fulfilled in the things they do, in their jobs, in their professions, as leaders, as executives, as CEOs, as COOs, as administrators, as craftsmen, as engineers, as executives, as soldiers, blue-collar work, white-collar work. God's Spirit has come down upon people in their jobs to be more effective than what they could do for them by themselves. We see this as the case. And God can do the same thing for us. When His Spirit is upon us, because we have adjusted to Him, God can help us to be highly fulfilled and highly effective at what we do. That is so clear from this story. Joseph has great success as he adjusts himself to God, not God adjusting himself to Joseph. God's Spirit enabled people to work very, very well. Whether Joseph was as a slave or he's as a prisoner and now he's the prime minister of Egypt, God's spirit is upon him. My first question is, are you willing to put your job in God's hands? Second question is this, are you willing to adjust from me to we? Are you willing to adjust from me to we? You can see it. You're very smart. You can figure it out in your own jobs how you can not just say, oh, you know what, I'm doing this job because it gives me a good salary or I get a promotion or I want to do X, Y, and Z in my job, but figure out in your own job of how you can have a community, how you can have a we focus instead of a me focus. In my own calling, my own profession here, what I do, anytime it's about me, things begin to shrivel up. My effectiveness, down the tubes. My fulfillment, down the tubes. But when it's about we, things change. When I adjust from me to we, things begin to change. That is the great change we see in Joseph. He is totally back here, me-centered, and God begins to change him, changes his character. He goes from me to we, over here to community, is it? God's saying, I'm not saving a person, Joseph. You thought I was about making you great. I'm actually about saving a nation of people. And people are thrilled about that. And then we come over here. After we run, we come over here. You know, in America, we like to run the bases like how? Come back here to home plate and run right straight over here, don't we? Because if I can get this, man, I can feel really good. You know, if those happen, all right. But if I can get this competency level down. And Joseph learned that he had to run the bases first, second, and third. I said this this past week. And staff me and I said, you know, we're going to finally get to third base. I thought, that doesn't quite sound right. right? <laughs> but, there we, but there we are. Are we willing to adjust from me to we? I want to ask you. From this story, it is so clear that God has a plan, a dream, a purpose, a vision for Joseph. Why do you think God gives us this? Are we just, oh, that's great, God, you're doing that. And Joseph's like, no, come on, everybody. God gives us this because God has a plan and a purpose and a vision and a mission for you. That's why we're told this story. God wants to do something special and awesome in your life too. All of us want to be a part of something great in this world. Don't you have a dream inside of you that's very vivid? You ever, you ever had a, a dream? You're sleeping at night and you have this dream that is so real, man. Maybe, maybe it's a scary dream and it wakes up and you're sweating all over. But you ever had that? It's so, oh my gosh. Joseph had a very vivid dream. 
I kind of had a funny dream the other night. I was sleeping. It was actually many weeks ago. And uh, I had this dream that I was playing basketball, <laughs> which is a dream now because I don't play anymore. But I had this dream. I was playing basketball. And look, I kept turning the ball over. And in my dream, my blood pressure is rising. One, two, three, four, five turnovers in a game. It was terrible. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I felt bad. The stands were full. What am I doing? And I remember in my dream, I said to myself, in my dream, the next time the ball comes to me, there is no way in the world that I'm dropping the ball. I'm like, ah. So coming down to court, guys on the wing, I'm right below the foul line. I turn, here comes the balance pass, and I'm, I'm dreaming all this. And I just go, ah. And I just, I, I did that physically. I just woke out of my dream. And Chris is like, what? are you doing? The dream was so vivid. And what I'm asking you, do you have a dream that's that vivid? Do you have a dream that's that vivid? Don't, don't you? You want to be a part of something great. God put that in all of our hearts. There's something for you to do. The problem is, as I talk to a lot of people, number one question that a pastor gets is, is what is God's plan for my life? What is God doing with my life? And then it breaks in two different ways. Relationship, career. Those are the two things. And as people talk to me about their careers, they want to know. They're unfulfilled. They feel ineffective and not fulfilled in their career, and they want to know how they can be, and we begin to pray about that. Well, Joseph was very effective, but we've got to be willing to put our jobs in God's hands. We've got to be willing to adjust from me to we, and some of us are just kind of sleepwalking. Some of us feel like this morning we're just kind of walking through, sleepwalking through our lives, and we just know inside there's got to be so much more. Something happened to me about six, seven years ago. I'm at the office late Saturday night, and um, I don't know what I was doing there. I was studying for something, getting ready for something that we were doing the next day. It was about 8 o'clock. The whole building is empty, and I hear this somebody in kind of heels, and they're dragging down the tile floor outside my office. It was a weird walk. It almost like a zombie or something was out there, and... <laughs> Next thing I know, up pops this person into my office. I looked up. I've never seen this person before. It's, it, it's a woman. Looks like she's about in her mid-30s, and she's very well-dressed. And I just looked up, and she just stared at me. And I said, can I help you? And she walked over to the, my couch, and she sat down on the couch. And I have this coffee table on wheels right in front of the couch. And she kicked it as hard as she could. Boom, right? And she looked at me and says, I don't think so. And she put her head down, and she went to sleep. I, what in the world? I remember so distinctly. It freaked me out so much. I'm looking around thinking, what's happened? I, I, I had my phone on the desk, and I looked at the phone, because every answer in the world is on the phone. It's a, I just was, I was looking at her, looking at the phone, trying to think. I was, what are you doing? You're an idiot. And I, so I finally, I, I, I said, hello, hello. She didn't respond. So I got out of the office, and I'm looking, and she's asleep on the couch. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? What is she doing? And then she got up. And she walked out of my eyesight so I couldn't see her over to where my bookcases are. So I like, I'm creeping <laughs> around the corner and I go to look and all of a sudden here she comes at me like a missile. And she had this blank zombie stare in her face and she's like walking straight at me so much so that I backed up and she went past me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going I thought she drunk? Is she high? What's happening here? I have no idea. And I just stood there for a minute, just perplexed as what to do. And I finally thought, no one else is in the building. I got to find out what in the world is she doing? So I went to try to find her. I couldn't find her. She'd already left. But you know what? She dropped something. She dropped a little cosmetic case that had like her toothbrush and toothpaste and other items like she was getting ready to go to bed and maybe she took Ambien and now she's sleepwalking all over the place. And I thought, oh, you dummy, this woman is out there somewhere sleepwalking right? Could be a dangerous, I couldn't find her, I couldn't find her. But you know what? Some of us feel that way in our jobs, don't we? 
We're just kind of coasting through, sleepwalking. And today is the day to wake up. Today is the day to wake up from that and say, you know what, God? I'm going to put my job in your hands and I'm going to adjust. I'm going to figure out a way to adjust from me to we and to make a difference. Look at, look at the difference that Joseph made in his life, what he did, okay? God can do this with all kinds of jobs. Look at how Joseph's perspective changes. Genesis 45. Look at this, the self-absorbed guy. God, you're doing this to lift me up. Look what he says. Do not be distressed. This is him speaking to his brothers who sold them into slavery. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Oh, of course they should feel angry with themselves for selling me here because it was to do what, everybody? To save me? Is that what he says? It was to save me. It was to save lives. It's about community that God sent me ahead of you. For two years, there has been famine in the land, but for the next five years, there's going to be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives by a great deliverance. Joseph had run the bases the right way. He connected with God. He depended upon God. God shaped his character. Now God's shaping his community, and eventually we'll get to competency. At the very last chapter of the entire book, of Genesis. This is what Joseph said. Dad has just died. Jacob has just died. And what do you think the brothers are thinking? Oh my gosh, we're in huge trouble. He put on a good show for dad, but what's going to happen now? This is what he said, Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. What does he say? The saving of many lives. The community is what is most important. So then don't be afraid. I provide for you and your children. Be reassured. He re- I mean, and then he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I want to end with just a couple real quick stories. I'm going to ask the music team if they would come up uh, and play, and then we're going to sing, and then we're, we're, then we're going to go. All right? I want to show you a picture of somebody as they're coming up. Does anybody know who this guy is? Oh, yeah. Yes. Iron Mike Tyson, right? Iron Mike, okay. Iron Mike's competency level was through the roof. Can we all agree to that? Is anybody, any sports fans would say, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. I was talking to Chris about it this week. He's like, competency level? I mean, the guy was a boxer. Hey, whether they'll admit to it or not, Every single guy in this room will say, I wish I had that competency level. This guy was beating up grown men when he was 12 years old. Every single guy in the room would love to be able to box like that. I don't care what they say to you. It's who we are, okay? The guy's competency level was absolutely through the roof. He ran, and I know it's a very sad story of Mike Tyson, but work with me. He ran the American way from home plate to third base. And what was messed up in Mike's life? He needed to go to first base first. He needed to have his character shaped. They needed to have community shaped because his community was an absolute disaster. If you know anything about Mike Tyson, you know his character was an absolute disaster. But over here, the American way is, hey, man, if I got this, if I got this, right? He is the first American athlete on track to make a billion. I didn't say million. A billion dollars 20 years ago when a billion dollars meant something, Okay. This guy's competency level was through the roof with his character. Mm-mm. Dependence upon God. Mm-mm. The community wasn't happening. How did that affect him? I got a quote for you. That's what it says. Mike Tyson, quote, I'll never be happy. What do you mean you'll never be happy? You made hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll never be happy. I believe I'll die alone. No community. I would want it that way. I've been a loner all my life with my secrets and my pain. I'm really lost. I'm trying to find myself. What's the Bible say? If you lose your life, you'll find it. I'm trying to find myself. I'm 
I'm really a sad, pathetic case. My whole life has been a waste. I've been a failure. I just want to escape. That's sad. I know there's a lot of things that go in here. I know Mike had a really difficult life. But everybody, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if Mike Tyson would have... What if Mike Tyson would have depended upon God? What if he would have turned his life over to God? What if he would have said, you know, my job is in your hands? What if he said, God, you shape my character? You shape my character. What if he said, you know, it's not about me, it's about we. What if he said, you know, well, you shape my community? And then he came over here and he took his incredible talent that he had and God could shape his competency. Then Mike Tyson could get out in the ring and just pummel people in Jesus' name and feel awesome about it, right? Feel so fulfilled. Boom, another million here, right? Ah, it'd be incredible. God wants to do two things today about our jobs. Here, there. Here's your fill in the blank. Change our perspective. Will you let God change your perspective from me to we? Right? Will you, number two, depend upon God? Will you, can you this morning take the adventurous route and say, God, I'm putting my job in your hands? Will you do that? Move away from complacency and comfort. Say, God, I'm put, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm putting it in your hands. I want to end with two really quick stories. Here's the first one. Two months ago in staff meeting, we did this amongst ourselves as a staff. God was just filling me up with these ideas with Joseph that I'd never seen before, everybody. And so I said in staff meeting, one by one by one, we're going to get in a chair. And all of us are going to surround that one person sitting in that chair and pray for every single staff member that the role that they fulfill, that God would help us to go way beyond what we could do ourselves, that the Spirit of God would come upon us, that God would help us with creativity, that God would open our eyes as God opened Joseph's eyes, that God would do way beyond in our lives, in our roles, what we do at our jobs would go way beyond what we could possibly do ourselves. And we would turn our jobs completely over to God and God would help us to be highly effective, very fulfilled, and the hand of God would be upon our lives. And I began to think about it this past week. God just reminded me of that. There's some things that have happened recently around this church. God has helped us as a staff to be far more effective I believe in what we have been before because we did that. And so it was so good this past week in my, my group, my community group. I got all my guys together. You know what we did? One by one. We have all kinds of different jobs in my group. One by one, each guy sat in that chair and we surrounded and we all prayed for whatever that guy does that God would go way beyond. Listen, we spend most of our time working and God wants us to be effective and fulfilled. We prayed the Spirit of God would be upon us. We prayed that we would be effective for the glory of God, that we would adjust from me to we, those things. And you know what? We had a very powerful time. So here's what God put on my heart, and here's how we're going to end. In a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. We're going to be on both walls today. Usually our prayer team is just over here. We're going to be on both walls today. We want everybody to have that opportunity. You spend a lot of time working. God wants to do something special through you at work. And so we just want to say, if you want prayer, we're going to be on both walls. We would love to pray for you, that God would do something extra special in your life, at your work. Okay? Well, let's all stand up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room. God, you have put a dream. You have a plan and a purpose for every life. And that involves our work. It's a huge part of our lives. It's important to you. It's important to us. And God, I just ask that you would help us to find a level of fulfillment that we have never had before, a level of effectiveness at work that we've never had before, that Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives in such a powerful way that it would go way beyond what we could do ourselves for each one of us. Lord, that you do something extra special in Christ's name. 
Amen. Let's sing. And uh, while we're singing, if you want to join us on the walls, don't hesitate. Come and join us there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.